just before we pray, if you are drawing reactions of the disciples, I wonder, just when you finish doing that, uh, just to help listening, if you're a, a drawer, perhaps you could try drawing a really tasty piece of broiled fish. And if you're feeling really up for it, you could draw Peter broiling. I don't know what broiling is. And maybe someone needs to tell me, but like you could, you could decide what contraptions are needed to broil a bit of fish. Or perhaps, and this is another thing, you could draw like a kind of thought bubble above a disciple's head, imagining what Jesus would look like as a spirit. You know, that's a pretty awesome thing to draw as well. Uh, so just some other things you can draw. Uh, let's pray. Uh, and, you know, perhaps you're all drawing a broiled fish in your minds now, but, but let's pray. <laughs> Father God, thank you for the risen Lord Jesus. Thank you that all is safe in his tender care and that now anything can happen because he has been risen from the dead and he's at your right hand and has all the power and authority in the universe. Please lift our eyes and open our hearts so we can grasp that in a fresh way this morning for Jesus' glory in our lives and in the lives of all the friends that we speak to this week. In his name, amen. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? How would you answer Jesus' question? He asks it for the disciples, asking it for you now. How would you answer that? It's always been a great comfort to me, reading these resurrection accounts in the Gospels, to see how non-triumphalist all the bits at the end always are. Jesus doesn't rush off to Pilate and say, Aha! I told you so! Can you imagine what that would have been like? Um, There are no revenge tweets, no mic drops, no slam dunks. This weekend that changed the world did it in a totally unshowbiz way. Jesus spends basically all his inter-resurrection ascension time with the friends who abandoned him in his hour of need. Keep struggling to convince them of what's happening in front of their eyes. Whatever our answer would be to Jesus' question, a few weeks after Easter Sunday with the world in as big a mess as ever, Jesus has deep comfort for us this morning. Jesus brings certain peace through the scriptures. Jesus brings certain peace through the scriptures. We do have to go via some quite intense confusion, though. So verses 35 to 43, I'm just cheekily going a bit back into last week. Uh, Seeing for ourselves brings confusion. Seeing for ourselves brings confusion. I always think the Emmaus Road thing is actually quite weird. Uh, you know, kind of disappearing Jesus while they're eating and breaking bread and, you know, oh, who's this? You know, was he wearing like fake uh, moustache or something? That's why I didn't recognize him. I don't know. Um, back in verse 20 of that passage though, uh, passage, though, when the two are on the road and Jesus uh, starts to talk to them about all the things that have happened. Um, just, just follow with me, please. Verse 20. Uh, this is like a hit list of almost every single resurrection promise Jesus and the Old Testament have ever made. It is kind of funny when you look at it this way. So look, um, the rulers handed him over. So Jesus and most of the Psalms and prophets said that would happen a lot. So that should be like, oh, maybe something's up here. And then they're like, what's more? So just reading down, uh, there we go, end of verse 21. It's the third day since this has happened. And we're supposed to think, oh yeah, it's ages now. So obviously nothing's going to happen. But hang on, the third day... The day seeds are created in the first week of the universe, seeds 
the things Jesus is constantly talking about in all the parables as the premier sign of resurrection life in the whole kingdom of God, burying a dead thing so it comes up bursting with life, or the day when Jonah comes out of the fish. Yeah, yeah that day, oh, it's terrible, isn't it? It's terrible. Nothing good can happen on that day. Uh, oh, yeah, and uh, they couldn't find his body as well when they went to the tomb. And, and then they saw him, and uh, some angels said he was alive. So we're really happy because obviously it's all true. No, we're really sad because it obviously means Jesus wasn't the one who was going to redeem Israel. And then when they finally are shown Jesus after they've taught, he's taught them all the stuff they've missed in the Bible, in the middle of excitingly saying, we've seen him and now we believe, verse 36, suddenly Jesus is there again. And they're like, ah! You know, they're not really happy. They're not like, oh, should have known. They're just... You know, look at this. Okay, verse 37. It's not startled. That is too weak. They're terrified. They are bricking it and, and thinking they saw a spirit, not a ghost, a spirit. And then Jesus asked them why the thing they were really happy about a few seconds ago is making them feel this way and invites them to complete this sensory overload by specifically looking at the scars they saw from the nails in the cross. And also, like this, it's flesh and bones. So I imagine they sort of feel my knobbly elbow, remember? You remember when I knocked it when I was doing carpentry and I've got like a little bump here? You know, it's like poke it. Like basically that's poke it. You know, it's just like, it's so like right in your face. And you know, verse 40, it's not just an invitation when Jesus says to Thomas, you know, look, come on, do what you said you were going to do. And actually Thomas is already on the floor and doesn't even bother. It's like, no, he actually shows them, verse 40. Verse 41, they breathe a sigh of relief and start swapping stories. No, verse 41, they still don't believe it from joy and amazement. Tiny improvement, it's sort of confused terror to confuse joy. But still, basically, having the foggiest. Don't know what's going on. Anything could happen, but no idea. So, just to kind of, I, lo- I love this bit. If you've seen Aladdin, genie coming out of the lamp, you know the first thing he says? I always want someone to quote it to me. He, he comes out from ages and ages from a weird situation being that tiny lamp, and he says, 10,000 years will give you such a crick in the neck. You know, and it's like, oh, I'm really hungry after being dead, Jesus says. Could, have you got anything? Could you just load me up, would you? Oh, yeah, delicious. Have you got any crisps? Oh, well, oh yeah, they're not invented yet. Okay. And this time, you know, the disciples are just like, they're on the floor. They have no idea what's going on. So Luke, Paul's disciples going, what is going on? The whole point is seeing it for themselves, that thing we often wish we could do, it just makes them more confused. Their eyes and their brains are working fine, but that doesn't sort out the stubborn pattern of thinking in their hearts. This tweet, you can't see up there, you have to find a screen. I'll read it to you. This is Professor Alice Roberts from Time Team. Uh, She said, on Good Friday, just a little reminder today, dead people don't come back to life. It's quite funny, really, isn't it? Uh, But what's brilliant about that, she was like, you know, slam dunk Christians. Luke would be like, yeah, I know. But, but this one did. Bonkers, isn't it? <laughs> this whole reaction keeps happening with Jesus. The resurrection is just the main event that proves beyond doubt what Jesus spells out for us. Behold, exhibit A, me, back from the dead. Behold, exhibit B, crispy Lake Galilee sea bass. Crunch, 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 yum, yum, yum. 
not going in. Just doesn't make any sense. No, don't believe it. Do we realize it's like that for us? How often in recent years have people been clamoring in contemporary events for what really happened? That's the political Barney right now, both sides of the Scottish border, isn't it? What did Dave really say to whom and when? What did Alex Salmond really say to whom and when? What did Nicola Sturgeon really say? Every revisionist history bestseller and Netflix expose promises to tell us what really happened. But Jesus is much more realistic. Even if I give you a multimedia PowerPoint with maps and a timeline and multi-sensory learning experience, you're just not, it's not going to go in that way. You, you won't see it. You won't see what's really happening in front of your eyes. Just like us, that thing we're convinced would just make everything crystal clear in our lives. That answer to prayer or that sign we've been longing for. If he actually does it, it'll almost certainly just make us more confused. We are terrible judges of what we need to make us certain. They were. We're no different. Jesus gives them a ringside seat to his post-resurrection life. Verse 48, they are his witnesses. But he doesn't give them photographs and signed affidavits. Just think for a minute, what could he have given them to make sure everyone, without a shadow of a doubt, thousands of years later, could know for certain that this stuff happened? Recently, think about Public Health England, or whatever it is now, tearing their hair out, trying to convince everyone the AstraZeneca vaccine is fine. All it takes is a couple of world leaders saying, oh, a bit dodgy to me, and everyone suddenly doesn't want it anymore. It's phased out. Ask any actual scientist, and all they'll give you is probabilities, never certainties. We live in confusion and doubt about everything. When we examine almost anything we're currently basing our lives on, perhaps the exact mechanism of our internal combustion engine in our car, persuading us that it won't spontaneously combust when we put the accelerator down, or whether that diet that we've read about on a website somewhere is actually going to give us good nutrition, or whether that flight that we're all longing to have when we're allowed is actually going to get us to our destination in one piece whether we can trust the contractor who's going to do our patio. Most of the time, we're just parking the question of all the confusion and doubt that will happen if we actually look into it. I praise our loving, living, trying God, Father, Son, and Spirit. He knows that. He knows that we're immediately like, but is it really? As soon as he lays it out clearly for us. He knows how to bring the most jaded and skeptical of any of us into humble, peaceful certainty about this. Even when our brains are just like that tweet, dead people don't come back to life. So verses 44 to 49. Jesus brings certain peace through the scriptures. Jesus brings certain peace through the scriptures. Jesus gives a brilliant summary, not of all the evidence they need to take with them on their global evangelism drive, but of what he's been saying to them all along. Notice what he's been saying in all the conversations that the Gospels don't record, as well as all the things Luke's careful investigation has laid before us. All that stuff 
It's best summed up, verse 44, in reading the Old Testament scriptures. Verse 44, this is what I told you while I was still with you. All the conversations, included or not, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. He's not eating fish anymore. It is nice just incidentally to know that the banquet that he's been promising since the creation of the world isn't just metaphorical. It will be really nice and tasty and probably, you know, there'll be a chef somewhere and Jesus' resurrection body has a working digestive system and maybe we can go fishing in the new creation, you know. There's a lot of interesting stuff there, isn't there? But Jesus doesn't do that, does he? Uh, Jesus leaves all that and says, so now you've got another really good reason to do what I've been telling you to do from the beginning. Actually, since Eden if we really go far back, and definitely since the Exodus, read your Bible if you want to learn about me. And now verse 45, the big verse. Spent a lot of time on this one. Really been meditating on it this week. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. There's a lot in this. We've seen that our stubborn demands to see things for ourselves aren't actually going to give us that certain peace that we crave about life and death and meaning and the God who is real. But this shows us that mining the Bible for evidence or confirmation of our own hypotheses, well, that isn't going to do it either. That's why it was possible for the Pharisees to spend a huge proportion of their lives reading the Bible and then still to send Jesus to the cross when he actually showed up. That's why even now there are billions of words, I've read some of them, written in commentaries and academic papers, even some sermons, that make out the Bible doesn't really have anything to do with Jesus. With the Bible, Jesus is doing the mind opening. And he's done it for lots of other people down the centuries. The disciples are emphatically not getting some special insight just for them into the Bible that was unavailable to anyone who lived before them. That does not work. That angle on this verse, some people preach it that way. It makes a mockery of the whole Bible. It turns the living God into a game player and a liar. No, this opening of minds comes when the disciples have been forced to give up all the knowledge they thought they had that was them thinking on their own. And we know that Bible teaching was in a bad way in Judea at the time. The commentary writers have just killed Jesus. So even when these disciples were obediently going to synagogue every Saturday, the teaching they were hearing wasn't preparing them for everything Jesus would do when they eventually met him. So Jesus does here what he will do for any one of us this morning when we accept him as the primary subject of every Bible passage particularly those in the Old Testament. He will open our minds to understand the scriptures about him if we ask him. This has been true since Isaiah as well. Isaiah 66 verse 2 is still true. The Lord God, the Lord Jesus, said this to his people and says it to us now. These are the ones I look on with favour. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Perhaps some people here are aware of some of the terrible abuses of power that have been unfolding over recent weeks from church leaders. 
There's some really tragic details. It's been horrible to read. It's been forcefully presented to me afresh this week that having the Bible with Jesus as its subject is the best and really the only safeguard against abuse of church power. Preaching, teaching, studying, rejoicing in Jesus through this book is the only thing that will keep our church life flourishing. And it drives our witness to others because our hearts burn with love for Jesus when we do that. Evangelism changes from a pyramid scheme recruitment drive to changing the quality of all our conversation and thinking. People just won't be able to spend any time with us without uh, with looking at any aspect of our lives without hearing us talk about Jesus or seeing his light and life shine through us. I have no right to say anything standing here with any authority to any of you if I'm not self-consciously presenting Jesus in all the scriptures. He is the Lord of the church. I and every other church leader are weak servants entrusted by Jesus with constantly, always speaking of him. Jesus brings certain peace to us together as a church through the scriptures. We can come to Jesus through the Bible, perhaps particularly the bits that confuse us or repulse us at the moment, and say, I don't understand how this can be about you. Please would you send your spirit to show me? Glenn Scrivener, in uh, his book, Reading Between the Lines, Daily Devotions on the Old Testament, walks us through this process, particularly on a passage which scares a lot of us. That bit where Abraham is asked by the Lord God to sacrifice his son, Genesis 22. I've heard people say this is monstrous. And the reason is because they're not seeing Jesus in it. Listen to this. This is what Glenn Scribner says. When you read your Bible as an abstract morality tale, it crumbles between your fingers. The Bible is not really the maker's instruction manual. Really, it's a story. The Spirit's biography of the Son. When you read scripture like that, Genesis 22, Abraham sacrificing Isaac, becomes not a barrier to faith, but a boost Suddenly we realize all the scriptures are fixed on the true provision of God, the beloved son given for us. That Genesis 22 passage shows the death of the ram provided by the angel of the Lord, which brings Abraham and Isaac life after death. And they knew it and understood it at the time. It's just one of those passages throughout the Old Testament that look obscure, ancient, backward fables, really, for academics with too much time on their hands. We think it's that, but actually these turn out to be, verse 46, what is written about Jesus the Messiah, who suffers and rises from the dead on the third day. If doubts are rising in our minds again this morning, just like the disciples... Have we doubted our doubts about those weird bits of the Bible? I've got another challenge for you, similar to the one I did with the Hebrew series a while ago. Several people have responded and emailed me about bits they didn't get. Um, Here's the challenge. See how many bits of the Old Testament you can find that proclaim Jesus' resurrection. Drop it in an email or send it to your home group or whatever. Just see how many. But I've got one condition. 
You're not allowed any of the obvious ones from Leviticus, okay? That's too easy, okay? When we read the Bible, it's primarily about Jesus. A lot of the doubt-causing stuff shifts perspective. We begin to have our minds opened by him through his spirit, the promise of his father. The way we see everything changes from the sunrise to the birds greeting the morning, to the seasons, to the stars, to our own bodies and desires. Seeing things for ourselves brings confusion. A resurrected, reigning Lord Jesus brings certain peace through the scriptures. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus gives us the living scriptures that proclaim him as the grounds for our certainty. That when we open up the Bible in humility, we are enabled to encounter him more completely, more fully, even than if we'd been there. Please would we believe that. And where we doubt it, please would your Holy Spirit convict and change us. Would this church family be somewhere people meet Jesus through the Bible? In his name, amen.